everyone. Welcome back to Sweet Talk. I'm Lena Kennedy, your host. Now, there's one thing we can say about this uh, novel coronavirus pandemic, and that's that it's been a great equalizer, or it appears to be a great equalizer. It doesn't matter for rich, poor, famous, obscure. We're all vulnerable, and we've all been impacted in some way or another. Now, it's upended communities globally and spread like wildfire. This we can agree with. And here in the United States, the pandemic has halted life as we once knew it, particularly in New York, where I live, where we have cases now hitting 320,000 statewide. So as we're all beginning to come to grips with coronavirus's impact on our lives, we've all been forced somehow or another to reinvent ourselves and come up with a new and better way to cope with what we try to make better. A situation that's unlike anything most of us have ever faced. So, of course, some people deal with challenges better than others. So today I'm pleased to welcome two people who know a bit about overcoming challenges. I'd say a lot, not a bit. I'd actually say a lot overcoming challenges and and dealing with adversity. Actor, model, public speaker and philanthropist R.J. Mitty and his beautiful mother Dana, who's accomplished in her own right with a thriving career that spans multiple industries. Now, many of you already probably know or already probably familiar with R.J. from his days on the iconic multiple award-winning TV show, Breaking Bad, where he played Walter Hartwell Flynn, White Jr. R.J. also is a veteran film actor, though I'm a little bit reluctant to use the word, you know, veteran when he's like 27 years old. I don't know that any 27-year-old can be a veteran, but I swear to God, after you listen to him, you're going to think, wow, this is an old soul and you're going to fall in love with him the way the rest of us have. So he's, you know, full of energy trying to make our world a better place through his family's charitable foundation. And we'll discuss more of that later. Now, Dana, aside from being the mother to RJ and his equally talented actress sister Lacey, is an entrepreneur and philanthropist who works alongside RJ, both in the entertainment and philanthropy worlds. So please welcome Dana and RJ. Hi, guys. It's such a pleasure to have you here today with us. How are you making out? I had so pleasure. Listen, <laughs> really, how are you making out over there in, in Texas, you know, dealing with this pandemic life? Everything's good? It's been fine. We, we've, uh, we sheltered in early and we have a nice big yard and, and a pool. So we've been able to keep up with exercise and kind of getting back just to family values, sitting around the table and eating together. So it's been good. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because I actually went to pick up my mom. I live in New York and I went to Canada where she was in a retirement home. Beautiful place there. But I got to tell you, in the first two weeks, there were like six people that passed away and then another. And I thought, wait a minute, she got tested and was negative. So I actually found a way to go to Canada, bring her back. And now she's living with me. So talking about a new normal, you know, we're at the dining room table because that's where she's accustomed to eating, right? We're not sitting in front of the TV anymore. So it's kind of like bringing back some of the old traditions that bring more closeness to the family, right? I think it's beautiful. I I don't know what you know about me and spiritually, but I believe, um, I told someone the other day, God has a sense of humor. And regardless of what you believe, whether you believe certain things or not, I believe that this is the way he's bringing us back to family morals and values. I think that's beautiful. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Dana. Whatever a person believes, it, it, it makes it their truth. And as long as that truth is good 
for the others around. You know, we do good, like all the good we're going to talk about you and, and uh, RJ do. I think that's really what matters in life is, is um, you know, do unto others, right? As they would have, you would have them do right. unto you. Yeah. Listen, where's your twang? You've got a little twang going on there, Dana. Where, where does that hail from originally? I, I well, hear a little I was twang. born in Louisiana. Ah, okay. Yeah, born in Louisiana. And I went to college in Tyler, Texas. And then when I married, I lived in Austin, Texas. And um, we are currently living back in Texas. Uh, so I think when I'm around people with a twang, it just comes back naturally. I, and I hear it and I love it because people comment on my little accent as well. And sometimes I forget it's there until people comment on it. So I don't know if you know you have it, but don't ever lose it because it's <laughs> like, it's so cute. I mean, you're visually beautiful. I've seen all your photos, but the twang, I think, gives it even more, more character. It's just very lovely to hear. <laughs> so, so where was RJ well, born you. then? In Texas? You want to... So, no, I, I was actually born in Mississippi. Oh, you were born in Mississippi. Okay. So how old were you when you went so, to yeah. Texas? Or where did you go after where did you go after Mississippi? <laughs> so I, I was so I was actually adopted out of Texas. Um mom my mom at the time was living in um Austin, right? Ah, yeah. Okay. So, um, and then um and then shortly after that, only a couple months later, um Mom and my father separated. Um, so she moved back to Louisiana, and he was still based in Texas. And then for a lot of my life, um, we would commute um, back and forth between Louisiana and Texas until I was around 12, 13. Okay. And then, uh, we moved to California. Who moved to California? You you and your mom? Me, my mom, my sister. So, um, I was, so... Very long story short, um, my grandparents were were sick at the time. Um, from probably what around like nine, they started getting sick. Ten, or was there, like, yeah, yeah, nine, ten, mm-hmm. not nine. nine well, years I mean, your grandfather had his stroke when you when you were born. Yeah, when, yeah, right before you were born, three months before. Yeah. Um, so, but. Uh, me and my grandparents were all super close, and um, and we would travel between um, Lafayette, Louisiana, and Austin, Texas, and um, from about nine to really about um, until I moved to California, we would do a lot of traveling between Louisiana and Texas. Um, uh, one being my grandparents were sick, and other reason being to visit my grandparents. <laughs> Sure, One set sure. of grandparents was in Louisiana, and the other set was in Austin. <laughs> right. And so Houston was Houston was kind of a midway point. So we built a house in Spring, Texas. So I would be between the two. So I, when ah. I needed to go to Louisiana, I was close this way, and when I needed to go to Austin, I was close that way. So we traveled between the two, and RJ was homeschooling through a private academy out of Louisiana. Wonderful. So it gave us that flexibility and. We ended up, um, we were at a water park in Spring, Texas, when an agent saw his sister. She was one at the time and wanted her to go out to L.A. to do. At one year old, Lacey was called to L.A. That's crazy. (laughs) That's cool. Right. And so when we went, RJ started doing acting classes to, to meet other kids his age. We had no intention of staying there. We were going for a month and then coming home. And um, 
it ended up he got involved in acting classes and his career started. He got picked up. He was doing background on a show called uh, Hannah Montana. And who, who doesn't um, know it? <laughs> and, right. And so he ended up um, getting that. So we ended up staying. And from Hannah Montana, he started working on a number of background you know, shows. Lacey started doing a little bit of work. So we ended up staying and we're there for 15 years before we moved back to Texas this last September. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. You know, I, I, I want to get through this because I want people to know both of you. You're like the dynamic duo team. You know, this mother and son, the, the love, the, the sharing, the, the philanthropy, the support. The strength you have, Dana, is just so amazing. And you've instilled that in your son. Like, I think it's a beautiful story that you all have to share with everyone. But but tell me now, you're both involved in so many different businesses, right? You're like in the entertainment industry, uh, the Hollywood dealings, you know, with the, everything that's going on with coronavirus. Like, what do you think is going to have, what do you think, you know, Hollywood is going to be like when, when this you know, passes by? What do you think the new Hollywood is going to look like? Because, you know, every, the, everybody's forcing social distancing and masks and don't touch. And the, how, how is that going to well, affect everything? What do you see? I think, I think there's a couple of ways that it could affect things. To, to be honest, I think like any, any type of virus or anything over, over time, it gets desensitized. And eventually we revert back to settling. But I think you know, for like with swine flu, everyone on set, we had, with it was during Breaking Bad, we had mass testing on set, we had mass vaccinations on set. So I think with film industries, we can control the environment more than the average industry. Um, unless you're talking about like a factory or a plant where people have to go through clean rooms or working. So, I mean, I think. When it comes to a set, we were able during this time to just be able to quarantine the set and localize the individuals working on the set. You can manage the exposure um, better to the virus. You know, RJ, that makes perfect sense. And actually never stopped. I only saw in my head, you know, when you're watching a movie or a show or something, everybody's together. But you will have, the industry will have more control. That's actually very logical what you're sharing. And, and I'm glad to hear it, you know, to keep everybody working, right? So, yeah. And I think it's going to take time for everyone to get on that same page of that. Because, again, people panic. And when you have stuff like this, people don't know what to do. They don't know how to react. They don't know if they should react. Sorry, I think once people now are in a stage where they're like, we need to do something now, it only took a couple of months. But I, I think that's finally where people are in their lives that we just can't sit around anymore. Um, how can we? How can we maintain a life? How can we go to a career? I think there's going to be some downfall with so many people switching to online platforms. Just because you take away the excess spending of your average customer away, because you're no longer just creating a project, a product for an hour, you're creating a product for 24 hours. So people are paying on the 24 versus the hour. Right. So you're losing. So the industry or individuals, yes, are gaining more money, but in the long run, not everyone will be able to pay for the subscription forever. Right. Um, I think the new norm so is still I, I being written for everybody, you know? Yeah. Well, 
I think I think this is always normal. I don't I I don't think this is abnormal in in our world to have these types of things. I think how we react to it is abnormal. Ab- absolutely, and how we react to it changes the environment. Um, I feel that there's going to be a we're going to have a minute. I mean, right now everything's shut down, but people are still working. People, are, I I can tell you right now, I know people that are still working. We are my um, company. We're all. You know, Busy. Every everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're it's it, it's been it's it's been just as busy as it was before this, and it will be after this. That's right. Um, and the new norm. By when I say the new norm, RJ, go ahead, go ahead. No. So to me, oh, I I think what I was going to say is I think too is um people are ready to get back and and through this whole thing. Even though we weren't out filming projects, we still had, um, like RJ did a lot of work every day from home, um, right. interviews, right. podcasts, um, self-tape. So basically what we're looking at as soon as it does open up and SAG puts everything back to filming, now he's got a string of things lined up to go and do. There so you I go. Think, well, I think I, when we go I, back I tell you we had a lot of that and it just got postponed. Right, but what I'm saying is it's all going to continue. It's going to pick back up as normal, yeah. and it's going to continue um, where we were. So I don't think it's, there's going to be a lot of change. I think if there's just going to be, like you said, they'll they'll get more control of what's happening on set, that kind of thing. Right, and that's what I mean by the new norm. You know, not fearing everything, just looking, analyzing, and saying, okay, how do we make this work right now so we can keep going forward and growing? And it just becomes a new way, you know, and a lot of people are afraid of change. But that is not you two. From everything I've read about you, you don't fear change, and I love that in people. So I did have a little bird whisper to me recently that you're working on a book together. And now, without revealing too much, can you give us some sense of what it's about and why you decided to write this book, please? I'm very curious myself as well. I think we just, over the years, when RJ was on his speaking tour and all, there were so many um, people that had questions after as to... How did we get through certain things? How did we make it through? How did we keep things um, level-headed and calm? And um, how did we function as a family? Those kind of questions. And so I think that's why we decided on a book to kind of share some of that um, together. And, you know, even though sometimes we have different ideas on handling things or the way we see things, at the end of the day, you know, we discuss them and we're, we work together to get to, to move forward. So I think just um, through all the people wanting to know, I'd have a lot of mothers walk up at the end and say, you know, how did you do this when you when he was diagnosed? How did you make things normal? How did you get through it? How did you carry on? And so we just realized that there was a lot, even though he was speaking and covering a lot, there was a lot of unknown that we thought we needed to share to maybe help other families Dana can you share Dana can you share for a minute please I'm sorry can you share what he was diagnosed with I haven't shared that with my uh, listeners yet but please go ahead now well when when he was three he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy Mm -hmm. and um, we had been I had noticed at nine months that there were some things he was doing like using his hand different walking different he was a severe toe walker and I had been taking him to doctors, and they kept saying, oh, he'll come down off his toes. Oh, he's fine. He had, he was super smart. So anytime they gave him 
test. He would manipulate the test. And um, <laughs> so they'd never diagnosed him. And he ended up being with my mom um, at the age of three. She would go in and buy, uh, she had one dealership. She would deal with one certain gentleman and buy her Cadillac from. And she'd gone in to get a new car. And he saw RJ and said, oh, your grandson has cerebral palsy. And she said, no, we've been taking him to doctors, but they all just say he's a toe walker. He'll come down off the side. He said, no, I'm a Shriner, and I'm telling you, he has CP. Let me try to get him into Shriners. And we said, oh, we'd be happy to. So we filled out the application, and a week later, we were off to Shriners in Shreveport, Louisiana. They diagnosed him that day and um, started treatment that day. And, of course, as a mom, it was even though I knew there was something, it was still a big shock. And sure. I held it together on the four-hour ride home. And then that night after I got into bed, my I was crying. And my aunt, who runs a orthopedic facility in Shreveport, Louisiana, called me. And she said, and I was crying. And she said, look, go draw a hot tub of water, take a hot bath, drink a glass of wine, cry all you're going to cry tonight while that baby's sleeping. Because when he gets up tomorrow morning, there's no more tears. You've got to figure out how to make this your norm. And so I did. I was working with Shriners, working with uh, OTPT and speech therapists. Um, I decided, you know, my aunt was like, you've got to make this normal for him. Don't make him stand out. So we just incorporated his therapies into our everyday household life and worked on it as a family, not let him work on it as an individual. Mm-hmm. And made it a part of our life and our norm at home. And that's kind of how we dealt with it. So for all of you listening out there right now, listen to the words that Miss Dana is sharing, the words, we made it our norm. When you wake up tomorrow, you have to make this your norm, right? Imagine your child, everything you could feel and knowing you had to give your strength in order to strengthen your child, which, by the way, Hands down, you did it beautifully. You know, you look at who RJ is today, not just physically and uh, spiritually, but what he gives back, huge. I mean, the big success he is and everything, but also giving back is crazy what you've done. So everything we're going through today, everybody listening out there, know if you want, you can. That's all there is to that. And you, you're living proof of showing how it's done, you know, just one day at a time, giving it your best. But writing this book must have been challenging, no? Or you're still writing it. So, so in this, are you learning something new about each other? Did you learn something new? And, and also, I'd like to know, you know, mother, son, like what really makes you most proud of each other when you think of each other? Can I ask that question or is it too personal? No, I think. For me, I mean, RJ has always inspired me as well. He, even from a little guy, was very loving and giving and um, just a happy, happy child. And I call him a child. He's still my child, even though he's 27. (laughs) He's a man now. But um, no, I mean, I couldn't be more proud of he and his sister. You know, they both um, set goals. They strive. They meet them. But. You know, RJ also just has this way about him that he can walk into a room and he's like a magnet. And there's nothing better as a mom than watching your son stand up and give a speech. And at the end of it, you have people that walk up and say, you know, I was contemplating taking my life today. But after hearing you, RJ, I know I can move forward. And wow. I, it gives me a new beast on life. And I think for me, that has been 
the biggest thing that opened my eyes that just how much God has used RJ to make a difference and inspire not only people in our country, but around the world. Right. This is beautiful. And, and this is great that you've helped him. Wow. You know, you say God works through him, but he also, you know, if somebody wants to believe you, he also worked through you because you gave your best every day to make things what it is in spite of not even thinking of just making the best of everything he could be. And look at the outcome. His voice is clear around the world. You know, it's like a conduit of of goodness that goes from him to the others. It's just amazing what you two are doing out there. I'm in awe when I read all about you, your strength. And, and you know, we keep not bringing Lacey in. And I apologize. Um, give me, give oh, me something okay. about Lacey because I think... A, a unity of a family is a unity. So tell us something we don't know about Lacey. You want to take that question? Okay, I think, um, you know, Lacey is, both of my kids are totally opposite. Um, but she's very headstrong. Um, she's an actress. But I think probably something everybody doesn't know about her is that uh, musically, she's very, very talented. And she's just started writing and um, RJ's helping her um, produce music now and I think that's the journey that the wow. two of them are, are going to have that they'll share and um, something they work on together that I really don't have a lot of knowledge in so they're kind of learning it together that's beautiful that's really nice and where is she right now where is she living she's here with us she's oh, okay. only 16 oh she's young oh good for you <laughs> I yeah. kind of went that way too but yeah. good for you <laughs> That must have been good, yeah, nice for you, RJ, cute. having a baby sister. No, did you love yeah, it? It was something. <laughs> it was something. It was funny when when she uh, when she was when she was born. Mom was in the OR and I was in the ER. Oh my God, you guys are so cute. Well, I think it's wonderful to have siblings that are going to do even more together. That's just you. You can't beat that. But okay, so RJ, let's talk about you for a second. I want you to share with us. So what's it like for you? What was it like for you growing up and becoming a successful actor? Like, tell us a little bit about your journey, a story that sticks out or something. You know, I want you to just talk to us. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's, you know, for a lot of my life, even now, most of my thing is just doing. I just continue to to push forward and do. And, you know, it's just one of those things where you got to, if you want something, you got to work for it. You got to achieve it um, for yourself. And I just, for the last 27 years, just been going forward. Just whenever, whatever challenge you face in front of me, I just try to, I just try to continue to push forward with mom and Lacey and everyone around me. And it's one of thing where when you have, um, when you have responsibilities and obligations, you got to maintain them. Right. You got to continue to be there for the people that you love and that you care about. And, um, you know, it, it, it's been a, a crazy ride. And it's been one of those things that just continues to, to grow in, in all directions. And you got to continue to maintain it and, and enjoy what we're doing. You know, we're super busy when it comes to personal life and professional life. And, and being able to manage the both of them is, is challenging, but it's doable. And we, um, I think we do well at doing that. You know, 
uh, about my family. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today without them, and uh, and vice versa. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where you gotta you gotta protect the people that you care about, and and that you you gotta provide those opportunities when you need them, and and they'll do the same for you. That's right. You know, your words speak directly to my heart, RJ, because I'm a firm believer in moving forward. I'm a firm believer in not fearing and, you know, whatever direction you're taking, if it doesn't work, you'll get put on the right course, I, I believe. Well, you know, I, I think it's the best well, way to live. Fear is a mindset. Fear is a mindset. We, we, we tell ourselves we're afraid of something, of whatever it may be, of the unknown or, or something that we haven't tried, but it's it, Again, though, a decision, you know, when, when we, we're afraid and we back down or we're afraid we can push forward, like, can't. We choose to say can't. We choose to make those decisions that I can't do something or I can do something. And, again, having the mindset to do so is very important. I agree. Um, Dana, you know, with CP, mm-hmm. what... It, anyone out there listening, whether they have someone in their family with CP or, or perhaps, you know, a sister, someone perhaps with a child, they've just been diagnosed. What would you say to them that really helped to ensure that RJ had a normal childhood as possible? What would you advise? Well, what I did, I can, you know, tell them what I did. I researched every day because there's new articles every day. And of course, there's a lot more about disability now than there was when RJ was young. But I just researched. I found, um, and I did holistic stuff as, as well as medical stuff um, as far as therapies at home. And like I said, I made it a norm. So at night, when we'd watch TV, if RJ was folding washcloths to work on his um, coordination, we all folded washcloths. Mm-hmm. If we were at the dinner table and we were working on speech, you know, I would come up with, different rhymes and different poems for all of to challenge everybody at the table, not just RJ. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is you need to, to research your rights. So when RJ started in school, um, we had ARD meetings and I fought for what RJ needed. Uh-huh. I made sure instead of putting him in special ed, he remained in a regular classroom and he had, um, what he needed to function in that classroom. I didn't let excuses be made. Um, you know, RJ would come home sometimes crying, oh, the boys are playing football. I can't be on the football team. Nobody wants us. Okay, you want to play football? We'd go buy a football. We'd get in the yard every day and throw a football until he learned to play football. We just, we never let it be that he could not do something. If he wanted to do it, we took that challenge on and we worked until we got it. And that's what I advise families to do. So many families want to just say, okay, let's put our child on social security and get the nurses to come in and they detach from that child and don't spend that time helping them develop and overcome. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing is you as a, as a parent, take that responsibility on and make it your norm for your family and it be all inclusive in your family and, and continue to fight and learn and, and grow as new developments come out that you, you take on more and more challenges to make your child's life as normal as possible. 
That's so, you're like a powerhouse of positivity. This is so beautiful to hear. I just love it. So if you were to say you had one fear, if you even had any, because you're such a powerhouse of positivity, you may not even have a fear that you can share with us as your biggest fear when he was young. Did you feel anything that really concerned you or you just kept pushing through everything so that everything felt as normal as it should be for any child growing up? Well, I think my biggest fear was that I just wanted him to be accepted by the other kids and wanted him to, um, you know, to, to be part of everything. And that, even though it was a fear, I don't think I ever let him know that was a fear. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, I just continued to push forward and make it as normal as possible. And, you know, we, we never accepted, RJ usually talks about it, um, my father never believed he was a Marine and he never believed in, I can, you know, you can do anything you choose to do. Absolutely. And um, that's kind of what we did. We just pushed forward, even though I think it was a fear in the back of my mind. Um, I don't think we ever, you know, sat and, and, and cried about it or worried about it. We just pushed forward and tried to overcome it. For sure. I don't think anyone can deny that's how you dealt. That's why I wasn't sure if you would even have something to share, but I would think it would be the biggest one would be the bullying part, right? So RJ, I have a question for you. I was reading that Breaking Bad um, has become like a symbol of sorts for inclusion in Hollywood. And are there any similarities between you and your character, Walter Jr.? Like, for instance, what I mean is apparently in the first season, from what I read, I didn't see it. I, I apologize. But your character was victimized by bullies. Did you do you remember being bullied growing up? And and if you were, how did you cope with that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't like the the thing of victimization initially. I think you can choose to be a victim, or you can choose that to pursue something. And at the end of the day, um, you know, we all face bullying. I I even face bullying now as an adult. Bullying now as an adult is more common and not considered bullying than as a child um, because we learn how to hide our manipulation and our intent behind things that we know are socially acceptable. Mm. Um, I find um, I find this very common. But, yeah, I felt with, with bullying when I was a kid, you know, when, when kids see people that are weaker, quote-unquote, or... or have something that makes them perceive smaller um, or, or again weaker in a way. They they either one they they try to understand it or two they try to repel it. Right. Um, you know I I had one kid that was I never understood why he was always so mean to me, but but I found I I mean I knew why he was mean to me because he had a bad family life and everyone in the school knew that, but. I was the person that he would take it out on. And, uh, and it was one of those things where it was like, I would never, I never really fall back of whatever he did. I just kind of really walked, I would let him do whatever and just walk away because it was one of those situations where you don't, it's not a win-win. It's not, it's not a, it's no one wins from, from conflict like that. Mm-hmm. And when it came down to like certain bullying or certain things, I did go to the teacher. I did go to, I would go to my friends, and when we would get out here, I'd go to the teacher. When the teacher wouldn't do anything, I, 
was based on mother, and she would go to the principal. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was one of those situations where it was like, you know what, I this is getting out of hand, and no one's going to do anything unless I get someone that involved to help stop the nonsense. The yeah, well, that has the ability to to to, to go about mm-hmm. taking a stronger stance than just being a child. Because as a child, people don't listen as much. People. People are like, oh, they're kidding, they're joking, or whatever. But I mean, when I was a, when I was a kid, there was this one incident where these kids took a kid out of a mall and beat him to death. Well, you could say those kids just wanted to have, just wanted to play, or those kids wanted to kill him. And again, these are children. So I mean, if if like kids can do that, what kid, what can't kids do? And you know, it's it's something that we have to be of and protect ourselves from and be able to to understand how to be safe in, a, in an environment that can be hostile, but at the same time, not let people manipulate you, not let people use you. And it, you have to take that stance. And, you know, it comes in different forms. Not everyone is going to get it physically. Some of it's going to be mentally. Some of it's going to be emotionally. And some of it, you're not even going to know what's happening to you. Because there's a lot of things that happen that you just don't know. Mm. So I, I what do you mean by that? Like Explain what you mean to... by that, RJ. There's a lot of things that happen that so you now, may not. Mm-hmm. So with social media, um, texts and Twitters and, and Instagrams and all these service messaging boards. Okay. That you you don't know about. You're not even aware of it exactly. And you're not even aware. And conversations mm. and, and and intentions and, and views that are happening that you may not understand or know, but they are happening. And I, I think it's one of those things where we can't hang on to that, but we got to to um, we got to protect ourselves and being vocal and all of it key um, to to grow sure. to not to not let yourself. Be a victim. Well, and one thing RJ started was he started a campaign with Shriners Hospital for Children called Cut the Bull. Because one thing RJ would talk about a lot is with the bullying, we'll never stop bullying. Right. There's no way to ever stop bullying. But what you can do as a person, when you see someone being bullied, you could be the one that steps up and tells the person, cut it out. We're all, we're all a witness. At the end of the day, we're all witnesses. We're all here to witness things. We're all here to be a part of things. And you can choose to witness heinous acts or, or bullying or whatever it may be. And you may let it go, but at the end of the day, those all have effects. Not just for them, but for you as well. And how much are you willing to just let set, set aside? And um, it's more common than not that, that we have that. And so I wanted to do couple of years ago, an anti-bullying campaign, and I was lucky to partner with China's Hospitals. We raised um, quite a bit of funds, but it, it's one of those things where it's, a, it's so important to get people thinking as leaders, as individuals, not as, not as just someone there, but as an individual that is a leader in the community, because we are all born leaders. We choose to follow. I, and, I'm with you on that one. And... Um, and so partnering with Shriners to create Cut the Bull was, was really good because people with disabilities, 
the twice as likely to be bullied, not just because of the dis- not not just because of the disability, but because of the perception of disability. Right. The right. ideas of disability is weaker, whatever it may be. But to me, individuals with disabilities have a strength, have a stronger strength, have a knowledge of the body, have a knowledge of their mind, and have a have a greater view of of what we can do as humans. And I think that in itself is undervalued. And we can protect and we can learn and we can grow from so much from what we understand, from what we do, but we choose to do very little. And I think it's important to protect each other, to, to, to be those witnesses, to be those leaders. Um, so when you need those, they're there as well. And you set that example to everyone around you. Well, RJ, as I alluded at the start of this podcast, you're both involved in, in several ph- philanthropic endeavors, right? And and I believe yeah. that you do school tours. So can you talk and, you know, you're encouraged, uh, encouraging disabled students to build up their confidence and things like that. So and I know now, you know, you're more involved with it. Cut the Bull, which I think is so great. Are you using some of that as well when you're doing your school tours to talk about bullying and, and you know, things like that? All and of All of Every- it. Every, every, everything is an opportunity to empower others. You know, um, my, my lectures, talks, my summer talks are, it's, um, the, the kind of whole overall summary is, um, overcoming adversity, anti-bullying, um, the, like the concept of fear, um, because fear, everyone is, is faced with fear, especially right now. We all, we are, we all are harvesting fear in our hearts at the moment because of everything that's happening. And you, and you shouldn't. And you should, but you shouldn't. It, it, it's something that, that there are fears in this world, but you can't let fear dwell for too long or it devalues yourself. And um, I, 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 I do numerous different talks. It really depends on where I am and who I'm talking to. Um, depending on the youth, depending on... on what's happening in the world, what are we facing. Um, so it, it varies, but, um, but we've always gotten good responses from, from the students and from the adults and teachers and faculty. So it's, it's, uh, it's cool to, to be a part of that, to be able to do that. Well, thank God you have a clear voice because your message is, is so, it's so, to me, logical. It's so pure, simple, loving, and logical. So never stop, never, never stop, guys. And I think you you know what your calling is anyway. Besides the acting and the fame and that, I think you have a greater calling and you're using all of every good that's come to you in this life so far at the young age of 27 for such good work. And, you know, speaking of good work, I'd like you also to share with me a little bit more about the MIDI uh, Foundation and its important work that you do. Please tell us more about it. Um, well, we're, we're a nonprofit. So my grand, my grandfather founded the foundation, um, back in 92, we focused on elder care, education, disability services, youth development, and aging. We're a grant giving organization. Um, we're a private family foundation. Um, so we don't do fundraising. We don't do any of that. Um, you know, I, I try to do my best to, to, minimize my, the exposure the foundation has with my personal with with my other professional life um just because we focus in, solely in texas 
Okay. Um, we focus on central and rural Texas. Uh, right now, we're working in Brownsville, Texas. That's kind of what prompted us to move back to, to Texas. Um, with the work that we're, we've been doing here, uh, kind of needed to be more hands-on. So we're here in Brownsville. Um, our offices, we have an office here now, but we have an office. Our main office is in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, it, we, we provide scholarships and grants. Um, we just signed off on our scholarship program um, the other day for this year. Um, we've been active for the past, I don't know, 20, 26 years now, 25 years now. Um, and it, it's cool. I mean, people can find out more information from the minifoundation.org. But, um, but really, it's kind of one of those things where we, we focus kind of in a, a higher tier of philanthropic work. Mm-hmm. Um, Meaning what? Can you tell direct- us what that means? Um, so your average individual that doesn't work for a nonprofit or something like that, we, we kind of focus on, on providing, um, providing more direct impact servicing funding. Um, kind of one of those things where if, if you're your average individual, we don't, we don't really, we affect them. But what we focus on is the organizations and the individuals that affect the general public. Okay. Um, so we're not one of the, we don't do programming like, like most organizations do. We don't accept funding. There's no donation. You can't like, you know how our organizations have to donate to us? Um, we can't, we can't, we don't do that. We don't, we're not in the, we don't have that type of, um, foundation. So primarily we, we work with other existing nonprofit and national and organizations to promote the philanthropic community and invest directly into the philanthropy um, divisions of the state. Well, that's great. I, I understand that you, you're also committed to raising awareness, and, and I'm all about that, to help bring an end to childhood sex trafficking. Now, as a victim of yeah, childhood well, I, sex I mean, abuse, yeah, this is an issue that I, I try to stay involved with for years now through various organizations. So I want to hear what you're doing. I would love to hear what you're doing. Well, I've done some work in the past with different organizations that, that really that promote, or well, not promote, but promote awareness of of what's happening when it comes to human trafficking and sex trafficking and, and um, abuse. And it, it, a lot of that comes to fundraising for organizations. Um, some of that comes to raising awareness for organizations. You know, we, we've had some incidences in our family where potential kidnapping situations um, in your family of the, of the trafficking nature. I, I was working on a documentary for a long time of a missing person out of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I learned a lot of how relevant human trafficking really is in slavery is today. People, people think it's a thing in the past, but it's I not. think it's more alive and it's more alive than ever. I have to agree with um, you on that one. And, you know, we live Canadian-U.S. border. And I remember literally about a year and a half ago, I swear to God, I was numbed by this information. I found out that we have a, um, we have a, um, a committee in near the bridge that saves these sex-trafficked children and teenagers. And, and I said, where are they coming from? And he said, they're cross-bordering this bridge that we cross all the time to go visit my family. 
It's a huge port. Can you believe that? Right here in our backyard. Like I found out stories of things and I've seen pictures that have just, I just cannot believe that. Well, in our backyard. That's how they get people. That's how they, that's, that's, that's the thing about predators. Is, and not just for predators in this division, but all predators, is that they're there. That they're in your backyard. They're in your neighborhood. Yes. They're, they're, we they're in your family sometimes. You don't have to understand. Yeah, you know, people people could be you can you could be hugging a murderer right now and you don't even know it. It's, That's right. It's just a way of life for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and the understanding. I mean, when a couple of years ago we were in broad daylight, middle middle of Los Angeles, living in West Hollywood, and we, we kept having an intruder come. And one day, um, my sister was walking the dog and. They pulled up a car behind her, popped the trunk, and got out. Oh, my God. And that's as quickly as it was. And if we weren't there and someone didn't say anything, they would have took her and left. And oh, the time they were sorry. My heart. It's funny. And, and just to tell you just a brief that, story. That was, I got goosebumps, guys. I got goosebumps when, when you were telling me this story, man. Really. And then we had another situation. It was it was so weird. RJ, I knew he was at a, a meeting. I didn't know what it was. Um, what was that you had gone to? It was a sex trafficking. Yeah, it was. Uh, child abduction and sex was, trafficking. It was the organization Brian. And um, sexual abuse. Sports. No, you were with William Shatner or whatever that day. Anyway, I just yeah. happened to be in Houston, Texas, visiting a friend. And my daughter and her daughter were friends. And, and I took them literally across the street from her driveway is a park. And I took them, and I was sitting over on a bench, and the girls were playing on some of the equipment. And I see this guy going over to the equipment, and I don't know, it just didn't look kosher. So I I saw him try to get on the piece of equipment with the girls, and I yelled, and I took off running. And about the time I took off running, he saw me. He jumped down. He took off. So I grabbed the girls. We went back to the house, and I called the police. And... And he was trying to pull my daughter off the equipment with him when he jumped down. And as I got closer, he took off. But when I called the police, the police ended up, they knew who the guy was. They, um, I guess he's a patient from one of the mental hospitals that oh. he goes over to the parking lot. They were like, he wouldn't have harmed her. I was like, it doesn't matter. The fact that he was doing that traumatized the girl. Absolutely. And it was funny because when I called RJ to tell RJ, RJ was like, oh my God, that's what I'm at. I'm at a... Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was literally ironic. Like right, right when everything, all the statistics and all the numbers, I get this, I get this call, and I'm like, great. Oh my! Oh, you we see, can add, we can, we can put my sister on that statistic now. Totally in sync. You crazy see how quick it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you're you're exactly where you need to be, guys. As a family, as as givers, and in, in the community, everything. I have enjoyed this so much, and you know, I know that in a society-wide transition at the moment, I tell everyone, my family, my friends, employees, that we have reasons to be optimistic about the future. Even you're sharing these frightening stories. But when, what I hear is that you were at the right place at the right time, you know, and, and then all the connections. That's how. That's why it's, it's so easy for me to remain optimistic in life because of all this connectivity, this energy we share, this connectivity. The reason why I'm even interviewing you, like I, I'm listening to you and I, everything vibrates, everything resonates well with 
everything you're sharing with us right now. So I love it because that's really the theme of this podcast is optimism. So as I leave you, I would like one more thing from you. Do you see this time as an opportunity to build a better future? Leave us with your words on that. I think so. I think absolutely. I, you know, that's what Ted and I sat down when this first started and we got some notifications from SAG that this was coming. And I, you know, we sat down as a family and like, okay, how are we going to fight this? Okay, we can keep active in our yard. Um, Lacey, you can use this as time to work on your music. RJ, you can use it. RJ needs rest because when it's sure. not, he works 24-7 all the time. I was like, you can rest and focus on what directions you want to go when this is over. And, um, you know, I think, I just think it's going to, we're all going to come out of this with, with rest and with, I think before this happened, everybody was burning a candle at both ends. And I think now we're all well rested. We've had time to wrap our minds around things and figure out how we want to move forward. And I think it's a time to come out strong and accomplish and achieve things that, that, you've been able to sit down and think through and plan. So I, I'm optimistic that it's, we're going to come back stronger than ever. What are your views, RJ? Yeah, come on, I mean, RJ. I, <laughs> yeah, I think the same way. I think, I think right now in our time, we have a global crisis. And if any time we can get a global answer or make a global impact, this is the time to do so. You, you know, got it. One of these things, the world is watching everyone. The world is listening to everyone. Everybody's affected. Everyone's affected. So how can we how can we utilize this and bringing more unity and bringing more support and bringing more proper guidance that we need? Because clearly we don't have it to this world that that to make it better, to make it more fluid for people that need a way in life, a goal in life, and, and to provide those opportunities. You know, right now they're providing grants and scholarships and trying to get more businesses in home and at state and, and stop outsourcing and, and put more insourcing. And I think that's going to be great for all the countries and all the states to be able to continue to drive their, their workforce, drive their citizens, and be able to be relevant in their communities and provide a proper service that for a long time they haven't been providing. Now they're being forced to clean the streets. Now they're being forced to take health precautions. Now they're being forced to, to bring this awareness of change. And it, it's, I think, a sad period of our time that it took a global pandemic. But it, I see positivity in this. From when, when there's a great tragedy, there's a great, a great change. Well, I want to agree with all that what? and I choose to to go with the same viewpoints because fear doesn't get you anywhere and everything you're sharing right now is optimism and that's what we have to hang on to. This is not the time to give up hope. This is the time to grab on to it, right? So do you have a, a leaving word, well, Dana? RJ, well, I think with, um, you know, RJ, a lot of times when he speaks too, when he's speaking on disability, he tells people, you know, disability does not, does not discriminate. It can choose any race, any color, on and on. And I think that's one thing that this whole uh, COVID has done. It brought had us as a nation, not just as a nation, but as a world. As a world. To start looking at each other differently and having to have respect for each other and help each other and depend on each other 
and as the human um, race and realize you know on Tuesday at um, we have a group of coalition here in Brownsville that puts bags together for um, we, we're it's a very poverty stricken area down here along the uh. border and and they put bags together and so on Tuesdays I go pick up Tuesdays and Thursdays I go pick up bags and I deliver them to several families that if I was not bringing them those bags they would have no food for the week so we've all kind of learned to respond have a different respect for each other and stop and take the time to realize there are people out there that need help and guidance. And I think it's just bringing us back together as a nation and well, as the the whole world really, but having to to be kind, to bring kindness back in and take away, you know, we got to where everything was so this race, that race, blah, blah, blah. I think we've all had to realize COVID didn't discriminate. It could take anybody Anytime. You got it. We all kind of had to pull together. That's right. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us today. I have enjoyed both of you tremendously. I I just feel so much for your goodness. And and I thank you for being, you know, the kind givers that you are to everyone. And RJ, you're just like super special. I think you know it and you're using it. And that's what you need to do. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. I I hope to meet with you one day in the flesh. (laughs) Take care. All the best to you. Stay healthy. (laughs) All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, RJ. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's it, everyone. You heard it from the Dynamic Duo. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and we'll see you next time.